Welcome to EduWeather, a podcast discussing the hot issues in Scottish education. In this episode, we discuss the new year and all the changes and challenges that come with starting a new school session. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or Pinterest. And you can also read our blog at edubleather.wordpress.com. First article is about the Scottish Government issuing free sanitary products for pupils and students across Scotland. So they're spending £5.2 million on providing every school, college and university with free sanitary products. And the aim here is to end period poverty with access being a right rather than an ability to pay. Our next news story in the news this episode is the fact that the SNP government have released a new document, Learning Together, it's called, and it's a over 50-point action plan in order for us to better engage parents in the education process. They've backed this with a spend of £350,000, and it aims to involve parents in things like spending, um, trying to make schools a more dad-friendly space, um, trying to involve parents more in volunteering. The main idea is that parental engagement is key to reducing the attainment gap, and this is their action points and action plans in which to do that. And the last news item is a BBC article about the new term and priorities ahead for Scottish education. Um, the Scottish Government's top priority is education. However, with the SNSA P1 testing um, up for grabs, with teacher recruitment problems an issue, and also a looming strike as unions call for a 10% pay rise, then it's hard to see that Scottish education is a priority at the moment. So the main feature of this episode, we decided to focus on the fact that given it was the start of a brand new school year, a new term, there's all challenges and exciting things that come as a result of that. Uh, so we were trying to sort of theme what the big changes were usually at the start of a new year and we've sort of come up with the fact that people is a big change so there's lots of new people, lots of changes with people, there's quite often changes in spaces mm-hmm. in, around the school as well and often there's changes in ideas, there's mm-hmm. new improvement plans, there's challenging things that we have to think about over the summer so we're trying to organise our episode this evening, this episode, around those three broad ideas. So I'm going to start it off with a bit of a question for you, Jason. You can interpret this in any shape or form. How do you support, in your role and in your school and the experience that you have, how do you support new people at the start of a new school year? Well, there's so many people at the start of a new year. I guess you've got um, pupils, you've got new staff, you've got new parents, um, you're, you're trying to get everyone to know what the school is all about, but I'm going to focus in on the new pupils mm. at the moment because I think that's probably the biggest um, thing. Um, if you're in a primary school, obviously you'll have a new year group coming in, the same with a secondary, and actually getting to know those young people quite quickly. Um, from our own setting in secondary, um, one of the biggest things we look at is we put a lot of time and effort into the transition process to make sure that 
we work closely with our primary schools, getting to know mm-hmm. um, the needs of the children coming up so that we are planning for that and also we know what strategies work um, but also find out about what partnership working we need to put in place um, so that young people are fully prepared for that transition. Because I think in particular moving from a primary school setting into secondary is challenging, it's a huge mm. A transition in, yeah. a, in a, a young person's life. And I suppose you're sort of challenging the assumption in the question there, though, aren't we? Is that actually they shouldn't be new pe- new people by the time they arrive. No, Just like at primary them. school, we, sh- we, sh- we should know them before they come into nursery, we should yeah. know them before they come into P1. Absolutely. And the, you know you've got a really solid and robust transition programme if those children are, if it's not a really vulnerable time for them, if they're actually making that really smooth process. So um, there's things obviously like enhanced transitions that yes. we do before, so even six months in advance sometimes mm-hmm. for, for young people that Absolutely. are really needing that. I know that that's something we do with the high schools that we work with, uh, but also coming into primary one is such a, there's so much wrapped up in that mm-hmm. in terms of um, just sort of societal pressure in terms of what it means to be starting school. Yeah. So there's parents, there's, there's really concerned parents, worried parents, there's mm-hmm. emotional children that aren't willing to come in because some of these children are four years old you yeah. know and coming in so there's there's so many parts to that that if you can make that experience as familiar and as stress-free and as relaxed as possible uh-huh. uh, you're going to make a really good start to the new year I think and Definitely. I think it makes such a difference and actually our transition and planning starts in primary six mm. you know sometimes primary five depends on the the nature of the the additional support needs um but I think Yes, planning for a young person coming up, but there will still be at the beginning of this term and moving throughout this year that real focus on building high quality relationships. And that's not something you can really build. And you can start a little bit, I guess, if you're visiting, but in terms of getting those really robust relationships, that really only happens once you arrive at the school. Do you know, and it's a really... And I'm, hard. I'm, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that point up because it's so important. And in my leadership role at the moment, I, I, I'm stressing it so much to everybody mm-hmm. that, that everything else is is secondary to, to building quality relationships mm-hmm. because if you don't have the right relationships for learning, if you can't set up the mm-hmm. correct expectations, the correct behaviour for learning, then learning can't take place. Sure. So actually it's so important for everyone, firstly, as we touched on at the start to feel comfortable to feel happy but then also that there's that mutual relationship building that happens Mm -hmm. putting you on the spot here do you have any tips for that do you have any tips for what you would do to be building relationships how do you do that in in your current role um so one of a couple of things that we do is is kind of make sure we're in and out classrooms a lot and learning walks so i'm going around to school and dropping into classrooms particularly focusing on first years just because they're new to the school so probably they get a lot more visits mm. from from staff across the school and um, because they're new and you're just wanting to check that they're okay all that kind of stuff um i would say as well our pupil support teams focus quite a lot in the initial stages on building those relationships so actually taking time out of classes so rather than getting stuck into the work of learning about English or, or German or whatever the subject may be, actually spending time doing team building type activities, mm-hmm. you know, getting to know young people, 
is really important. One of the things I do, um, and I'm, I'm doing this just now with my first years in my caseload, is I'm meeting them one to one just to find oh, wow. out a little bit more about them and just to see how they've settled in and just to have that kind of initial discussion with them about mm-hmm. how they're enjoying high school. Um, and overall, it's been really positive, and they're really enthusiastic, and they're really up for it. I like that. How um, many? How many children are we talking here? How many? Um, so, in my house, it's like a third of the schools, so about sixty pupils. Oh wow! Um, but each of my colleagues are doing that as well. Yeah. So that's something we've prioritised. But we do that not just with first years, but with every year group. And obviously, that takes time. Yeah. Over the course of the year. But what an investment. Um. But actually it's quite useful for us to get that feedback and that's yeah. just gathering the pupil voice as well but also it allows us to just build a wee bit more yeah but um, I've, I've been doing a lot of reading around sort of relationship building and, and behavior and how that can be best done and sort of saying that is like depositing within the emotional bank do you know i like that that sort of metaphor there is that it's actually let's put stuff in here just now to build that relationship so yeah. that if things do get tough mm-hmm. if things do get difficult you've already invested and it's not trying to build a relationship at a point of crisis yeah. it's actually being really proactive about building that one of the things that i've done um and i sort of set myself a bit of a challenge and i'm i'm interested to see i hope it, i hope it will continue for as long but every day this school year so far i've stood on the gate for the first 15 minutes and welcomed every single person that comes through the gates mm-hmm. and it's great because for me it's only as i say 10 minutes out of my day mm-hmm. um and it's a time that I like to be visible anyway, but every single day I've been on the date, gate welcoming everyone, trying to say hi to everybody, because I'm relatively new at the school mm-hmm. that I'm at anyway. Sure. And it's such a great thing for building relationships and really welcoming, because there's quite a lot of new families that have joined mm-hmm. the school. There's a brand new set of primary one parents, obviously, that are coming up, and primary one children as well. And I just it's been it's made such a difference yeah. being there, being that that welcoming face to yeah. the school, being able to... So then parents are much more... They're able to come up to me and talk to me about things that uh-huh. they might not want wanted to go into the office about, for instance, that they sure. just want to kind of informally catch me on the gate. And it's been a massive change for me in terms of, of my practice and, and the relationships I've been able to build with the children as well. I would really recommend it. So there are some tips there for um, the new people that join the school. Who else is joining the school then? Yeah, so we've had we've had quite a lot of new staff, and I, I suppose mm-hmm. I, in the first year this happened in the first school that I was in, I thought, oh wow, this is a lot of new staff, maybe mm-hmm. four or five staff turning over. But actually, I found that that's just a relatively common thing, it's no matter where warm, you're at, because it? there's always people moving on, or there's mm-hmm. pregnancy, or there's retiring, and mm-hmm. there there's a whole range of reasons for mm-hmm. getting. So I think it's actually quite normal to have maybe three or four new faces at that first in service day back, and I think. I think that's really exciting, actually, about a school. I think that's why there's always quite a lot of energy at that start of a new year because there there are new faces. It feels like a fresh start without sounding cliched. It's yeah. all that sort of tiredness and jaded weight of the work that was on right mm-hmm. at the end of term. It feels that that's kind of shifted and there's all these new faces and everyone's trying to to be work together and it's a really lovely feeling I think at the start yeah. of a new year with, with and that I new think energy. as well on that first day back you can just feel the buzz of everyone catching up about what they've done over the holidays but also because people have had a proper rest they're excited they're yeah. just raring to go um, that maybe they weren't feeling like that on the last day of term <laughs> yeah because they're 
just or the second last day of term. The last yeah. day of term, everyone's very excited. Slightly different. Yeah, you're right. But <laughs> the second or maybe the week before, where people are just needing a holiday. Have you found any specific challenges with? And I'm not thinking specifically negative challenges mm-hmm. here, but like, what what barriers have you faced supporting new staff joining your school? Um, I've not. I don't know if I could. No any barriers. Seamless. None that we can overcome. None that we can overcome. I suppose maybe I was kind of leading you down a down a path there. I yeah. suppose, but the, the, I would say that there, the, if there's staff that are going between local authorities, sometimes it's difficult to to explain policy. Okay, so you can you can get hung up. Yeah. yeah, you can get hung up on. Um, procedural things yeah. and that can almost take over because they're they're key things like get me on the uh, IT system get me yeah. an email address making sure and it's a really I, I find it a really challenging point because they're small things that as you mm-hmm. say are easy to overcome and the answers yeah. are there but actually they're they're really important things as well mm-hmm. because actually if they're not on the staff email list on day one then they miss an email that might yeah. actually be really, so it's I find it really challenging trying to manage that and just being constantly aware of that I think is is, is important I would say that we've as a school we've put a lot of time into the induction process um, for new staff um, and I think trying to get all these things in place and that's the challenge I think you'll maybe talking about is trying to get all these things in place before the member of staff starts so that when you come on day one, you're presented with everything you need and then that makes you feel more welcome and that yeah. someone's planned for you coming rather yeah. than, oh, you're here. Uh, we've not got your your username and password for the computers. We've not, we've not got you a pigeonhole for the <laughs> staff room. Do you know? And I think you're right. That's probably the kind of thing that we probably need to focus on. Yeah. Um, but other other forms of induction like probationer support I mm-hmm. found really really organised and really structured. Yeah. Um, just because we've been doing it for so long. Um, and I think there's so much support around the teacher induction definitely. team as well that actually, certainly, the local authority I'm with at the moment there's a huge amount of support there for mm-hmm. supporters of, of so for the mentor teachers as yeah. well. So actually, there's a lot of supports out there. So that and it's such a fantastic system I think that that probation mm-hmm. year the, the induction scheme it works it works incredibly well and mm-hmm. as you say there's so much experience within the school mm-hmm. and within the authority that actually it makes it a really fruitful process Definitely. I think for, for the probationers absolutely um, and in terms of um, getting to know people I mean we one of the things we do is we encourage our staff to be going out and about meeting other colleagues you know making sure that in the first couple of weeks they are wandering the school, just introducing themselves because in a big organization it's too easy just to just to stay in your classroom and never leave it and before you know it, it's the end of the term and the end of the year and you don't really know that many people. Yeah. Um so we've very much encouraged people to do that and have Yeah, we seek were seek the support out. We were having discussions right at the start of the term about um what do we want to be sort of visibly consistent across our whole school? So mm-hmm. what do we want people to to see from every single member of staff, from the people working in the office to uh, the, the 
facilities manager right the way up to the head teacher you know everyone there and one of the things that we all agreed upon was that yeah we wanted that we wanted there to be a real visible sense of welcoming so that's where we agreed for management to be on the gates and teaching staff to be out walking around in the corridors mm-hmm. greeting children not being able to pass anyone without saying hello how are yeah. you and if they don't know their name to speak to them and to ask them and to really just create try to work towards a culture where yeah. everybody is part of that community rather than actually just being isolated in your own silos and trying to work away mm-hmm. do you know i think i think it's really important and it does a lot for definitely for relationships which obviously leads to learning as well absolutely so you've mentioned new um, pupils you've mentioned new parents joining the school we've mentioned new staff so i guess in terms of people we've covered that what about in terms of um, changing spaces so what would you say are the challenges to changing spaces that obviously inevitably happen at this yeah. time of year? It's an interesting one and I'm interested to see your thoughts on this because from a primary perspective I think mm-hmm. it must be really different. Um, quite often in the primary sector when teachers are moving between year groups, between levels, mm-hmm. um, quite often, and it's very fairly common for teachers to move classrooms as well. So okay. uprooting and moving into a completely new space. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we know and all the research shows us that a, a huge part of pupil engagement comes down to environmental factors. So it has a massive impact, I would say, that, that, that setting up of your new classroom mm-hmm. space. And I think it's really exciting in, in some parts because you get to completely refresh. It's like a massive sort of spring clean, get mm-hmm. rid of sort of clutter and stuff that's been sort of building up across the year. You get a brand new space. Um, sometimes it gets painted if you're lucky, mm-hmm. which sometimes is nice. new carpet. New carpet, yeah. yeah. And I just think that, that feeling of freshness, that feeling of, mm-hmm. of, of new space it creates this sense of I think that I don't know that you can tackle new challenges within that space and actually it makes it feel new for for everybody I think it's a really important part well I would say in in my context in secondary it's rare for our staff to move classrooms I would say Mm. um obviously one of the big changes in terms of space would be that a new timetable would be in place so the young people would be moving and would quite often have different teachers would have a different curriculum, so a different number of subjects. That would be quite common for that to change every year at this time. Um, but it would be rare for classrooms to be set up. But there would be new things, obviously, as you've said, painting, upgrading the school, so that things are in place moving forward um, for this year. Um, but also in terms of the environment, at this time you probably see people refreshing their wall displays a lot more frequently than maybe at other points in mm. the year, just because they have the time and probably energy to do it at this time of year. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you a question about wall displays at this point? It was something really interesting. It, yeah. I've been reading uh, a lot about uh, cognitive load theory, and it's mm-hmm. taught a big uh, a sort of offshoot of this discussion has been uh, classroom displays, and mm-hmm. it's just an interesting point to bring in at this point because, as you say, people are very keen to kind of print off lots of stuff sure. and put lots of stuff up on the walls. But the argument being that our brains 
only have a very kind of limited amount of working memory. So uh-huh. that, so actually to be able to process things at the time, it's very, very limited in the space and time that you can, if you're trying to solve problems uh-huh. or if you're trying to work something out, the amount of space that you have dedicated mm-hmm. in your brain to be able to do that is very, very limited. Mm-hmm. And the argument is that actually there should be blank walls in okay. classrooms. There shouldn't be anything up in the classrooms because it detracts from your working memory. And it's a very, very convincing argument. Um, and I would just, it would be interesting because I know in a primary sector, certainly, mm-hmm. a lot of teachers would invest a lot of time and it's almost this sort of measure of how organised you are and how, how, how creative, creative you, you are, yeah, how great you can make your classrooms look before you come in. Now, I know there's arguments for working walls in terms of children being able to be, for instance, there might be maths number lines up in the, on the wall so that they can make reference to them mm-hmm. while they're working or there might be vocabulary walls that they can use for spelling but the, the, the argument the main argument behind is that is all detracting from the task that they're actually meant to be doing at the moment and it's just an interesting thought for our yeah, listeners yeah. to consider when they're and I think it's a good point I was actually looking at Twitter today and um, the English schools will be going back to school in the next week or so um, and you start to see probably what you saw when the Scottish schools went back you start to see loads of photos of classrooms and how they've been organised and there was this one um classroom that was on Twitter and I won't name the, the person um, and it was just absolutely jam packed, there was like flags across the ceiling <laughs> it was like every wall was wow. covered in colour, um, there was paper plates all over one bit and I mean, don't get me wrong it looked fantastic yeah. it looked so it looked so colourful and it, it probably gave me that impression of oh wow that teacher's really creative so there was like different areas sectioned off but having heard what you said of course it felt really cluttered and actually how could you sit and and work on your maths problems when when there's stuff going on and it's funny that I'm I'm sort of hanging on to this theory like a dog with a bone because I was always rubbish at doing Mm. classroom displays like I couldn't do it I, I found it really challenging I I feel like I have other strengths as a mm-hmm. teacher, but doing the displays was okay. But I I like the idea, and it made me think just about a question of wait, what is what is the research? Where is the evidence to suggest, or is it just folk evidence? Is mm-hmm. it anecdotal? Is it is it somewhere some somehow somewhere somebody has decided yeah. that that's what a primary class classroom should look like, and that's what primary displays? And the 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 point that I'm asking it, I'm not. I'm not trying to be controversial or antagonistic, but where is the evidence to suggest that that does work? Because yeah. now I've been presented with a piece of evidence that's made me question parts of my practice that I've been doing since I yeah. became a teacher. And it's just interesting. That then makes me think of other things. Secondary, you know, you, I don't think you would, you would see absolutely creative wall displays and so on, but you wouldn't see it to the same extent of an entire classroom being covered mm-hmm. you know, with different zones, because it's a different context. Yeah. Um, but just the, kind of the last point on that I think you, you, you're you on to something because my own personal way of working is I can't sit down and do a task at my desk unless my desk is entirely clear Yeah. so I can't even have a pile I can't have neat piles in front of me I've got to have that out of sight like yeah. to my side out of my actual eyesight before I can sit and work on something because yeah. otherwise I get distracted um, 
That's it. Cog- cognitive load theory. I think you're it's, right. It's worth. It's definitely not my theory. That's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredibly interesting. I'd recommend Absolutely. that people look it up. Okay. Um, what about how do you ensure new ideas that have formed over the summer are actually sustainable? So this is the whole idea about things you've seen or read, um, maybe talking to colleagues or friends, and you think, right, I'm going to take that. I'm really fresh. I'm, I'm buzzing with ideas. I always really like the holidays because that's when I'm at my most creative because that is when you get your thinking time, mm-hmm. I find. I agree. Um, uh, and I think the way that you've asked that question, though, in terms of yeah, the sustainability of that, because uh-huh. how, how do you ensure... I, I, I agree totally that actually if in the summer you've got low, all these creative ideas because you're not you're not met with these um, operational mm-hmm. distractions that mm-hmm. often come up in a school uh, you you're, you've just got that time to think and mm-hmm. be creative but how do you ensure that those are sustainable is a, yeah. is a great question and I, I don't know the answer to that honestly other than I think one thing that I've learned a lot in since coming into a leadership position I would say is that sort of strategic planning mm-hmm. thinking about thinking about key milestones in in some sort of improvement plan that you've got sure. now i'm not talking about and obviously i've been involved in the creation of improvement plans for a whole school but even within a classroom i think an improvement plan for your own practice would be important as well obviously do you know so if you have an idea for instance that you're going to want to try cooperative group work I think you need to approach that almost from a practitioner inquiry sense, you know, to be able to say, okay, so what's my rationale for mm-hmm. for this change? And that's the part that you've done over the summer holidays. You've mm-hmm. you've you've thought about it. You've asked other colleagues. You've hopefully done a bit of research, and there's maybe some evidence to 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 back up that decision. So then you go in in week one. It's not just about, and I think this is sometimes a mistake that we make as teachers as a profession. You know mm-hmm. that we just think I'm so excited about that. I could see myself doing that the next day, so I try it, and then it maybe doesn't work, so you give it up. But actually, if you if you approach it through that lens of practitioner inquiry and think, right, well, I've, I've done my research, here's the change, the small change that I'm going to make, and this is the change that I expect to see, so I might want more engaged learners when I'm looking at what, so how are you going to measure that? And if yeah. you actually start to view it through that process and be quite systematic about it, mm-hmm. I think that is something that, that really will have a, a significant impact mm-hmm. on the learners. And then that's what will lead to longevity and sustainability, mm-hmm. I think. Definitely, but I think you're absolutely right, making sure that it's in some sort of plan, so whether it's some sort of curriculum plan or whether it's part of your own practitioner inquiry. Um, but I guess also it could fit into, if you've not had it, your kind of annual ERD mm-hmm. um, or any sort of results review meeting. Mm-hmm. Generally, you know, at points at this time of year, this is when we're reflecting and planning for the year ahead. So I think as long as it's, in one of those plans, and then it gives you time to actually carry out the task. Yeah. Because um, if it's not allocated in some sort of plan, generally you're not going to get around to doing it. Yeah. Because yeah. you've got so many other things that you need to do. And I'd encourage teachers to think about that in, in that there is a plan. Do you know it's a statutory mm-hmm. document that will be created, that improvement plan that, that schools will have? Mm-hmm. I, I'd say, Matt, 
map your classroom improvements towards that. Do you know if there's individual things that you're wanting to change, if if writing is a school improvement priority or if, if nurturing approaches are a school improvement priority, I would I would encourage you to, to think about that because then that's part of the whole school ethos, the whole school environment. And if you're able to follow through then then you you will be able to the cat sessions will feed into that. Everything else will feed into what you're if the improvement plan's written well and everyone's engaged in that, then everyone would have bought into that anyway. But yeah. you're right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so have we covered the new term then? I think we have covered the new term and I think it's it's worth sort of noting at this point, obviously, that it's it is a really, really exciting mm-hmm. time of year. I think everybody feels a huge amount of excitement and and they've got a lot of energy at this point and it's a really good point to consider well-being and health and well-being and to think about right well how do we maintain this level Mm -hmm. of because there's a real sense of togetherness there's lots of points where you're having staff meetings meeting welcoming new staff and there's new pupils as we've discussed you're all in new spaces so it's about trying to harness that that energy that comes from that and make sure that that kind of flows throughout the year which is really hard really difficult but yeah we need to strive for yeah exactly and I think it's about making those commitments and almost Mm -hmm. those those professional reflections and professional promises to yourself I think Mm -hmm. at this time of year is to think take stock of right what's going really well just now how do I what do I kind of adopt and adapt and abandon that sort of thing and it's one of the things to maybe consider I quite like the start stop keep so what you know, generally that's what you should be doing on an annual basis and reflecting on each of these things. You know, what are you wanting to start that you need to for the improvement plan? What actually doesn't fit into that and actually you could stop mm-hmm. and because it's not a good use of your time? And what do you want to keep because you absolutely value and this is your fundamental? Um, so that's quite a useful tool as well. Yeah. So I suppose all that's left for us to say is have a great end to this term and hope it continues <laughs> the way that, that, um, that it started and please do get in touch with any tips that you have for the start of a new term any rituals or habits that you go through at the start of a new term and we can add them up in a blog post as well that would be a good, good idea so for the inspired by feature of the show we are going to interview Jace Hi. Jace <laughs> has recently embarked upon a new project and it is very, very exciting. I am inspired by him. Being in his presence is a pleasure, <laughs> never a chore. <laughs> I mean, it has been a chore tonight. It's 10 to 11. <laughs> Tell us what has inspired you. What has made you feel this tired this week, Jace? It's been an awful week for it's you. It's been a good week, actually. Um, a really good week. And it's hard to believe that we're at the end of week three of yeah. being back. Um, this week I was at my first session of Into Headship, which is the Scottish College for Educational Leadership's uh, new programme um, for people across Scotland to meet the standard for headship. Um, so I was at my first session on Wednesday this week at Murray House in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. at the University of Edinburgh, and it was really, really good to just meet so many other enthusiastic people who are in the same boat as me, primary and secondary colleagues, um, also a colleague from um, a Gaelic school as well, so just really interesting mm. context. 
um, where they're all bringing different experiences, but also there's some commonality between us where we've got similar type challenges mm. and similar type opportunities. So talk me through, what's the sort of timeline here? How long is this going to take you to do the, to do the Into Leadership? Uh, so the Into Headship is, so we start it in August um, and it will take for me to achieve the standard of headship about 18 months um, to two years. Okay. Um, so a number of different components. So, so far I've done a 360 evaluation where my colleagues have rated me on various things mm. um, and then you get feedback. And then you have to devise a plan to make improvements in those areas. That's one element. The other element, and quite a big part of that, is that university. So um, sessions throughout the year, um, taught sessions by at university master's level, um, where you've got to submit essays, mm -hmm. you've got to engage in professional reading. Um, and that's quite a big element, Um because getting back into the academic yeah, how do you feel style about that? of writing, I mean, it's the challenge, <laughs> but there's loads of support there. Um, had a few uh, interesting times at the library, um, but I'll get there, because yeah. actually I want to learn. And, and I suppose and they must be used to a lot of people coming that haven't been in academic absolutely and the academic world for yeah. for a long time so it's it's not it's not meant to be a barrier but i think no. that, that it's great actually that, that it's becoming a compulsory thing for yeah for future head teachers is that as, as of next year or as of uh, this so year? as of 2020 um all new head teachers will have to have the into headship or yeah. SQH or FRH equivalent. And I think that's great, because if we are going to be a research-led profession, actually we need to be Definitely. full of leaders who are research-led, and yeah, yeah. that needs to be it. So how inspiring, and, and what's the thing that you're most excited about throughout the, the kind of 18 months ahead of you? Um, I'm actually really looking forward to doing a lot more professional reading. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, we all try to fit in professional reading and, and I have time for some professional reading having engaged in the last um, few years. But actually being forced to is really going to help me just yeah. broaden my awareness of so many things because I'm going to be critically reading um, policy documents, critically reading um, international um, evidence on education. And actually that's something I'm really interested in um, but if I'm really honest I've just never had the time but it's making it a priority but I have making it, to yeah, do it so it. actually I'm really looking forward to doing that and one of the other great things that from Wednesday was just amazing was actually just chatting to people who mm. are very like minded a bit just like yourself professional too. dialogue yeah yeah just having discussions about education and it's just nice yeah. having those conversations because again on a daily basis as much as we try to have those conversations, you know, we're so busy that... Dealing with flooded toilets and fire alarms. <laughs> well, <laughs> not for me this week, but your week sounds interesting. No, Although I did break the toilet seat. All right. It's <laughs> a different story. Maybe for another time. Um, so, yeah, it's really good just having these discussions where you don't normally have time um, for that. Great. So I'm really looking forward to the year ahead. Um, there's also online learning, so there's certain online modules I've got to complete. Um, there's also an in-school research project that I have to do as well and carry out a, an issue of strategic change. Wow. Um, so a lot going on, um, but loads of support and 
really looking forward to it. Excellent. And I think it would be good for us to, to revisit this and sort of document your progress throughout this okay. and see, <laughs> see how far you descend into this professional reading. It would be interesting. So we'll, we'll catch up with Jace maybe in a couple of, couple of episodes' time and he can tell us how he's getting on with this. I'll do <laughs> <laughs> recommend section of this month's podcast. So Jude, what are we recommending? Um, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts again. Um, I really enjoy a podcast and I think it's such a great way to, to, to develop professionally because there mm-hmm. are so many teachers out there doing this much like you. Yeah, absolutely. Well. And it's really easy to do as well. Like really, really easy to do. And not I think, talking ourselves. No, no, no. I mean, it's, I mean, we're doing it a really high professional standard, <laughs> but it's really easy for anyone else just to get on board and do a podcast. But someone who's very, very, uh, a really high level podcast with some fantastic guests, and I'm going to recommend this because the back catalogue is just sensational mm-hmm. and you'll get a lot out of this. It's Mr. Barton's Maths Podcast. Mm-hmm. Now, those non-maths teachers might be thinking, well, it's, it's a maths podcast. It's yeah. nothing to do with me. Why would I listen to that? And I, I first got into it because obviously as a primary teacher, we are much more qualified than secondary teachers and we teach everything. So it's quite, it's quite a money kid in, of course. <laughs> but no, obviously Ooh. I teach, teach maths as well. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm really excited about maths and I thought, well, I'll start listening to it. But actually so much of it is just about education mm-hmm. uh, and the guests that he has on... Often there are sort of math questions and math specific questions, but the podcasts are about two and a half hours long, two hours long okay, sometimes. Wow. And actually there are some questions that are about maths, but the way that their guest, his guests answer... It could be applied to, it, any to anything. And so much of it is transferable. He's had uh, Dylan William on twice. He's had wow. uh, Greg Ashman on. Uh, he's had Robert and Elizabeth Bjork talking about memory and forgetting and desirable difficulties. And he has these really high profile guests but he's got such a lovely way of interviewing them in a way that one is incredibly knowledgeable. I mean, the mm-hmm. research that he must do for every show is is fun. I mean, it's awe inspiring because wow. he gets a, a feel from listening to it that he and the questions that he asks are just so in depth, and he he really reads the book and critically engaged quite often his guests have a book to promote, for instance. But I feel like I've almost read the book myself mm-hmm. after hearing the questions and hearing oh, wow. the, the guests talk about it. I'll and need it's to check it out because it's not in my podcast I've listened to. But definitely check it out. Uh, I, will. I I love the format of it as well. The way so he he'll always have a, a guest on and he'll mm-hmm. talk about that. But and that's a really in depth interview. And then quite often, in fact, every time he'll do his own sort of takeaway after it. So the okay. the podcast will finish. And then he'll do his own reflection at the end of it. And it's quite nice as well. So because you've been listening to a guest for two hours, you actually miss out on a few of the points. But then he summarises it really well at the end. And it just mm. is just a really nice podcast. I'd, I'd really recommend it to everybody. It's brilliant. So that's Mr. Barton's Maths Podcast. Mr. Barton's Maths Podcast. And it's Mr. Barton Maths on Twitter, I think. But we'll put that in the show notes as well. Great. Thanks, Okay, we're now at the end of episode 9 where we discussed the new term and everything new and the challenges and the exciting things that we see at the start of a new term. Um, remember, you can follow us on Twitter at EduBleather. You can also check out our website, which got a lot more content at edubleather.wordpress.com. We're trying hard to update that a bit more regularly, so please do have a look over there. 
And as always, thanks so much for your support, your mentions on Twitter, your tweets to us, um, all your messages of support, and also for listening to this podcast, um, because that means a lot to us. Um, if you have any suggestions for any future podcasts, then we're always willing to hear them. Um, we are hoping in our next episode um, to interview a very special guest, but um, we need to finalise that before we make an announcement, but we'll do that on Twitter very soon. So until next month, thanks very much.